Hello and welcome to the Kick-Ass Life Project podcast. I am your host, Kate Middleton, and I am a trauma-informed counselor as well as a cycle-thinking personal trainer. What I've got for you this week is an interview I did as a live stream in my Facebook group with Dr. Tamsin Morley. Now, I won't go into huge details right now about who she is because I do that in the live stream recording, but if you were ever going to trust me, now is the time to do that. Dr. Tamsin and I are talking about menopause and all that comes along with that, understanding the changes happening to our body and how we can balance graceful acceptance with empowered action so that you can feel like yourself again. Now, if you are not currently being faced with the realities of menopause, I encourage you to listen anyway, because A, chances are it will affect you at some point, and this knowledge will be invaluable. But B, because so much of what we are talking about specifically can be applied in a general sense. At the root of it, we're talking about women's health and how to advocate for yourself. So without further ado, let's go. Hello, everybody. I am so, so honored to have Dr. Tamsin Morley joining us tonight, sharing her expertise about this ultra important topic, menopause and fitness. Uh, Dr. Tamsin was born in South Africa, raised in Victoria, BC. She is board certified through the College of Naturopathic Physicians of BC also a member in good standing with the British Columbia Naturopathic Association and the Canadian Association of Naturopathic Doctors. She has, are you ready for this? Pharmaceutical prescriptive license. She's board certified in acupuncture, offers a variety of services, including IV therapy, botanical medicine, lifestyle nutrition counseling, naturopathic uh, manipulation, hi Rachel, as well as allergy and hormone testing. Dr. Tamsin is passionate about ensuring her patients feel supported and encouraged along their health journey. So I am going to turn things over to Dr. Tamsin in a second, but I wanted to start this just by asking you, Dr. Tamsin, why you feel this is such an important topic for women to be talking about and learning about. So hi <laughs> thank you for that amazing introduction um, <laughs> welcome we've got a bunch of people tuning in by the way so um so so kate i mean and as you know you and i have talked about a lot over you know the few years that we've known each other just the importance of of hormones for women um one of the things i hear the most frequently for women who come into my office is i don't feel like myself mm. and Oftentimes that's due to hormone imbalances. Um, we're definitely going to get a lot into, you know, some of the signs and symptoms, but that's oftentimes why I think this is so incredibly important is, is that women more so than men, just because we have more complicated cycles than men, um, are struggling, like dramatically struggling and oftentimes unnecessarily, but they just don't know. So, and they don't really know what's going on in their bodies. And that's where we do testing. We investigate, we ask lots, uh, ask lots and lots of questions too. So, yeah. And, and I think I love that description of just, I just don't feel myself that. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds exactly right. And, and yeah, I think the, there isn't a lot of easily accessible knowledge about what is really going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we normally have this monthly cycle where, you know, we have our follicular phase and, 
estrogen's rising, we hit ovulation and it's like on top of the world and mm -hmm. then boom into luteal phase and sort of switching to progesterone and I mean my knowledge of it is so <laughs> common person compared to yours so what happens to all that <laughs> so the way that you've described it so breaking up into the phases so in a perfect world in a perfect cycle you would have so day one is the first day of your menstrual cycle and then most women go through their menstrual cycle and again also this is always perfect world it would last about five days and then from day five to in and around day 14 your estrogen would be rising and then at day in and around 14 you would ovulate that's where most women feel their best because oftentimes that's when their estrogen and progesterone are balanced that being said and then the second part so your luteal phase is usually when your progesterone rises um, and in a perfect world your progesterone would rise you'd feel fine and then your progesterone would drop which normally ends up happening and then you have your menstrual cycle again a perfect 28 day cycle um but <laughs> there's we're also perfect <laughs> right there's but there's actually really no such thing as perfect because every woman varies differs uh, depends on her genetics it depends on her her physical makeup it depends on if her other hormones are out of balance case in point her thyroid um, so there's lots of things to consider, you know, polycystic ovarian disease, um, endometriosis, there's lots of other things that come into play and not even thinking about, you know, environmental toxins and dietary restrictions and, um, people eating foods that unfortunately are genetically modified or, you know, heavily sprayed with pesticides such as glyphosate, which again, that's a whole nother realm. Um, but it's very, very rare to see somebody who comes in with a perfect cycle because there's so many external factors and even genetic factors that come into play with that. So how, and this is a question I was thinking about, like as, as a woman and we're getting older and we, it's not like somebody holds up a sign and says, congratulations, you're now in perimenopause. Nope. Or, you know, like this is menopause other than and, and so what I've heard is a lot of women don't really pay attention until yeah. boom, hot flashes, right? True, true. Um, so how can we kind of know we're, this, this is changing, we're, we're going into perimenopause versus kind of just like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm not eating or exercising in a way that supports my goals. <laughs> how do you know the difference? Right, so a lot of patients will report um, case in point, I don't feel like myself or, you know, my libido was crashed or now I'm having hot flashes and night sweats, or I'm noticing I'm very irritable or I'm short with my family, or I just feel very frustrated all of the time. Um, so, and that doesn't necessarily happen at a very specific or like pinpointed time. That's the really challenging thing about perimenopause. Um, so the pre-menopause years are usually anywhere from 20 to 40. And then anywhere from 40 onwards can be perimenopause. But honestly, I've seen patients in perimenopause in their mid-30s. Um, so the perimenopausal years, and unfortunately they are years, um, is just basically a period of time where things become very erratic. Um, and that's also where it can be really, really challenging um, to test because they are so erratic. So, and honestly, whatever ends up happening in perimenopause is normal because your cycle usually fluctuates um, quite a bit. So there's not really a lot of consistency. And that's also where some patients will report that they feel fine one month and the next month they feel awful. Um, but also in perimenopause, you're still having a menstrual cycle. 
but your menstrual cycle might be, you get it one month and then it skips for two or three months and then it comes back and then you miss it for six months and then it comes back. So that's also those fluctuation in hormones will actually create that change in your menstrual cycle as well. And would you suggest if women are noticing those changes that they go in and talk to somebody? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think for all women, um, focusing on, I mean, as we've talked about a lot, diet, digestion, exercise, sleep, mental health, um, and hormones go into play with all of that. So I would definitely say addressing your hormones. And even if you're feeling fine, fantastic. So continue to feel fine, continue to feel yourself. So therefore putting those kind of preventative measures in place well ahead of time is going to serve a lot of those patients when they transition through perimenopause and into menopause. Um, There are some, I like to call them the unicorn patients (laughs) where, you know, they go through perimenopause and they feel completely fine. And then all of a sudden they just stop their menstrual cycle and that's it. But wow, oftentimes, that, that sounds like the women that <laughs> say they, well, you know, they went into labor and 10 minutes later they had a baby. Right? Yeah. They're few and far between. Um, so, and, and oftentimes I have a lot of questions for those patients. <laughs> oh, I bet. Um, have you noticed but, a pattern with them? Yeah. Well, um, I think a lot of it also actually comes down to genetics. So, and again, also diet, exercise, stress management, right? So there's lots of different things at play. Um, But those are certainly things that I do discuss with my patients. So making sure that you're putting those preventative pieces into place ahead of time really does serve you. Not to say that you could be in the throes of perimenopause. There's still lots we can do. And when you say those preventative preventative things, um, do you want to just go over or recap those again quickly? Oh, for sure. Um, So... Well, the basics. So diet and digestion are huge. They're foundational because without a properly healthy functioning digestive system, you can't absorb your nutrients. If you're not absorbing your nutrients, you don't have the base molecules that you need. Not even just your, you know, your amino acids and carbohydrates and fats, but your vitamins, your minerals, um, those are absolutely essential as well. Um, Sleep, that's huge. Um, stress management is another huge part of it as well. And I know that a lot of people are experiencing um, pretty high levels of stress right now, which of course is going to impact them in a lot of other ways as well. Well, um, perfect time for yeah. me to be thinking about going into perimenopause, right? <laughs> um, so, so yeah, the, the foundations are really, really important. So um, I know yeah. we had a question about supplements and so I'm, I'm going to want to ask you about that for sure. Um, and I don't mean to cut you off. We, we did have no, a question. And um, somebody was wondering if losing hair can be a symptom of perimenopause. So, so it definitely can be, but it can also be a symptom of a lot of other things. So um, usually running a full panel of blood work. So making sure a patient's not anemic, so they don't have low iron, making sure their thyroid is properly function, functioning is going to be a huge part of it as well. Um, and then also the potential of estrogen and progesterone. But I usually look at iron and thyroid first, especially with female patients, because we have a menstrual cycle. So there's a potential we could be anemic. Um, and thyroid is just one of those hormones. Our thyroid gland, of course, is right here in our neck. And it's very, very sensitive to um, environmental changes. So and dietary changes and stress. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I know there's um, one lady listening for sure that is um, 
you know, had a big struggle with iron. And so I know she's very mm -hmm. adamant about telling women, check your iron, check your iron. Yep. So what is the best way for women to have the blood work and these things tested? And, and as a follow-up to that question, after it's been done and say they have the reports, mm -hmm. especially if a doctor isn't particularly spending a lot of time going over it, how yeah. can they have those? Because they can look at the things online, their medical profile, but how yeah. do they decipher the numbers they're looking at? What's the best way to do that? So, of course, I always recommend that you work closely with your primary care physician. So as a naturopathic doctor, that's who I am. I am primary care. So um, for a lot of my patients, I am their family doctor. So that being said, I always sit down with my patients after we've run that full panel of blood work and literally go through everything and explain what everything means, whether or not it's in range or out of range, or maybe even a little bit low. Um, so one thing that I'm always looking for in a blood panel is something called a ferritin. So ferritin is your iron storage. For most women, they feel better over 65. Most women are between 15 to 40. So, and it depends, you know, if the patients, if a patient has really, really heavy menstrual cycles or they're uh, vegan or vegetarian, of course, that's going to come into play just because you're not getting as much iron. Um, so in those particular situations within the blood work, it doesn't actually, um, specify that that patient would be anemic because the cutoff, especially with life labs is under 15. So a patient can be at 20 and still feel awful. Yeah. So there are those kind of things to consider. So again, as far as naturopathic physicians are concerned, we're always trying to optimize your health. So even though you're not anemic yet, you're still incredibly low and that's why you feel awful. Um, and low iron, of course, as I mentioned, so changes in your hair, changes in your nails, changes in your skin, uh, fatigue, shortness of breath, um, exacerbated anxiety, usually worse around a menstrual cycle as well, can also be because um, of signs and symptoms with, uh, with anemia. So iron is very, very important. Okay. So if someone if their primary caregiver is not a naturopath doctor that's going yep. through these things, do you, do you recommend that that would sort of be their next step is maybe finding a naturopath doctor to help them go through those things? Yeah, absolutely. And what I always encourage patients to do is work in community with your healthcare providers. You know, you've got a chiropractor, a physiotherapist, a naturopathic doctor, a medical doctor, um, and they all offer different things and they all have unique perspectives. So that's usually what I suggest. Um, and oftentimes a naturopathic doctor will give you a marginally different perspective than a medical doctor. Again, they're, they're just looking out for the, the super big scaries. Yeah. For the most part, what I'm trying to do is look out for those and then also just trying to optimize people's health to help them feel better. Yeah. And I love that term you're using because that's, that's so hitting the nail on the head is right. Women don't want to just be like, okay, I'm not dying. Great. Yeah. Like everything's within range. You're like, well, then why do I still feel so awful? Well, and like, I, yeah, like, okay, so it's good, but I want to, I want to feel like me again. Right. Like I want to feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Most, most patients don't want it to just be okay. They want it to be better than okay. Yes. So, but yeah. Yes, for sure. Um, I know that's gonna, that's gonna hit home with a lot of people for sure. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So there's, there's definitely a lot, a lot of the questions I was getting and things was on, I feel like I'm doing all the things, you know, like yeah. I feel like I'm eating right and I'm 
doing my best to get sleep and all this stuff. And Mm -hmm. the weight is just not stopping or not going away. Yeah. Uh, So one of the first things I always think about is thyroid. So your thyroid is responsible for your metabolism. So patients who come in and they say, I'm having difficulty losing weight. I'm really tired all the time. My cold and my hands and my feet are always cold. I can't seem to warm up. Um, I'm noticing a bit foggy brained, kind of a bit forgetful. Those are usually very, very common signs and symptoms that their thyroid is under functioning. Um, so one thing I always do recommend is get a full thyroid panel. So what that means is that there's four components to the thyroid test. There's something called a TSH, which is the message from your brain to your thyroid. What your thyroid actually releases, which is called T4, and then your T4 then has to convert into T3. Um, your T3 is actually the hormone that creates the most significant impact on your metabolism because it attaches to the cells. Um, but unfortunately, because of our current system, um, even if your medical doctor requested uh, a full thyroid panel or at least you know suspected hypothyroidism, they look at they, your medical doctor would request your TSH and T4. Um, oh. Unfortunately, if your TSH comes back in range, and I usually always put it in quotations because the range that's been provided is not, again, it's a range. Um, and it's not, it's no, it's, it doesn't, it's not often reflective of where patients feel good. So that being said, um, and TSH isn't really a good reflection of thyroid function to begin with. So, um, so back to it. So if your TSH comes back in a quote unquote range, the lab will cancel the rest of the test. So even your medical doctor won't get that information. Um, So oftentimes what I do is, again, working with other practitioners, is I'll just provide testing to be able to top that up. So your TSH will have already been run. So I look at your T4, your T3, and something called TPO. And TPO is an autoimmune antibody. So I always look at that just to rule out um, the potential of something called Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So which... I see a lot of and diagnose, diagnose a lot of just because it's not a very common test that's run. So, and I mean, these are all sounding a little bit like scary things or whatever. Is no, oh, yeah. thyroid is coming in low or the T3 is, is low. Yep. What next? So that's patient dependent. Um, I always provide options to my patients whether or not they choose to treat themselves um, nutraceutically and herbally versus pharmaceutically. Um, depends on the patient and depends, you know, on how they feel about everything. So I will always offer the choice. And sometimes I'll recommend in a particular direction if I'm feeling like a patient is really, really struggling. Um, but ultimately it's their choice. So, but yeah. So there's, I mean, really what I'm hearing is, is it's a pain in the butt and, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not fun, but there are things yeah. to be Oh, done. absolutely. Um, and again, it's, it's a, Thyroid testing is a very, very common test um, for, for any woman who goes into their medical doctor and says like, I'm really tired. I'm, I'm kind of like having difficulty focusing. I've gained 20 pounds in the past six months. They'll always run your thyroid. Whether or not they're able to run a full thyroid panel is a different story. But then, as I said, chat with your naturopathic doctor. They'll be able to request that blood work through Life Labs and just do that top up, um, which really does make a very, very big difference. And as I said, in community, I'm often sharing that information with my patient as well as their their medical doctor or whomever else is their primary care provider, um, because that communication about their case is also very, very important. So, 
Yeah. But there are, there's, there's options for treatment. Like it's not, it's not one of those things that we get the results and then there's, there's nothing that we can do. There's plenty that we can do. And so, I mean, I hear a lot of talk about hormone replacement therapy and, and so I know that can be part of it, but then you also hear lots of scary things about hormone replacement therapy. So I'm wondering what your take on that. This, this would be an entire lecture unto itself. (laughs) Um, Okay. So my hair is just having the best, best time right now. I can't see myself. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Hormone replacement therapy. Okay. So um, there is a difference. Hormone replacement therapy and bioidentical hormone replacement therapy are two completely, completely um, different sections, I should say. Um, hormone replacement therapy uh, is based on something called Premarin and Provera. Premarin is actually comes from pregnant mare's estrogen. So basically, so the Premarin. Um, or they're also called they're also called conjugated equine estrogens. So basically estrogen coming from a horse. Um, And then there's Provera, which is a progestin, which is a synthetic progesterone. Um, Both of those hormones were actually used in a study that was done in the early 90s um, called the Women's Health Initiative. And oftentimes, unfortunately, that's um, the confirmational bias for a lot of practitioners because that's the only thing that they've ever read about. Um, There's a lot of very complicated... um, outcomes as far as that was concerned, but they were using the conjugated estrogens, um, so the Premarin and the Provera, with patients with pre-existing cardiovascular issues, pre-existing obesity, um, women who were smokers. Um, so it, was, it wasn't a very well-done study. It just had a very, very large population of people. So that's oftentimes why it's, why it's referenced. So that's hormone replacement therapy which I wouldn't touch with a 10 foot pole. And I don't, I don't think any woman should ever be on either Premarin or Provera. Um, If there's any concerns, if anybody out there is on either of those things, please call me. We can talk more about it, but that's, I digress. Um, So the other side of it is bioidentical hormones, which is estradiol and progesterone. Estradiol, your body produces. Progesterone, your body produces. So the idea with bioidentical hormone therapy is to give your body what it produces. Um, They're both, so both the estradiol and the progesterone is actually sourced from soy and yam. So basically what they do is they take the scaffolding from those particular vegetables um, in a lab and synthesize it to look exactly like what your estrogen and progesterone looks like. So therefore the effects that it creates in your body are exactly like what your body needs. Um, so, and yeah, far safer from that perspective, especially progesterone. So many women can benefit from progesterone. It's, it's an incredibly important hormone. Um, and we'll talk more about that probably in a couple of minutes here. Okay. I was, I was just going to say, Ooh, tell me why. (laughs) Well, um, so remember we were talking about the different stages, the, um, the follicular stage and the luteal stage. So in the the perfect world, goes up. Yes. So the, so yeah, exactly. So the first part is follicular and that's where estrogen is, is dominant. And then the luteal stage is the second stage and that's where progesterone is dominant. What ends up happening is most women actually have a reasonable amount of estrogen, especially in their premenopausal or even perimenopausal stage. Um, but again, it can vary because perimenopause, anything that happens is normal. 
But what ends up happening for a lot of women in their uh, luteal phase is that their progesterone is low because of a lot of different things. Stress being the one, the one that's most significant and the one that, that's the most common. So because their progesterone is low, most women before their menstrual cycle notice bloating. They notice um, changes in their skin. They notice changes in their mood, more irritable, more frustrated, maybe a little bit more weepy because their progesterone is low going into their menstrual cycle. So that's why so many women could benefit from progesterone. So, um, so, so basically as you're going into like your perimenopause phases, then if you're getting low on progesterone, you're going to kind of always feel like you're in that pre period phase of your cycle. Yeah. It's basically like having perpetual PMS. Lovely. It's miserable. It's miserable. Yeah. But, but it's modifiable and it's treatable. Okay. Yeah. Do you find that, like, does every woman going into perimenopause and menopause need hormone replacement therapy? Not necessarily, but it also depends on the patient. Um, and that's also why my intakes are incredibly thorough because um, there are some women who maybe pre have a pre-existing uh, risk of cancer or they've had um, congenital thrombophilia or a history of DVTs. Like there are certain situations where hormone therapy, bioidentical hormone therapy um, is contraindicated. But that's also based on a patient-to-patient -patient basis. And some patients don't want to um, um, explore bioidentical hormones. Some women would prefer to focus on diet, exercise, um, nutrition, nutraceuticals, herbal medicine, um, and that's their focus. And it certainly works. It oftentimes just takes a little bit longer. So usually I recommend that if a patient is going to be picking herbal medicine or nutraceuticals, is just to give themselves some time. On average, it's three to six months. Sorry, what is three to six months? For initiating treatment for patients to really start to see a difference if they're just focusing on herbal medicine and nutraceuticals. So, And if they were on the hormone replacement therapy, how soon would you expect them to be noticing differences? A week or two. Oh, well, that's fast. Yeah. Yeah. So oftentimes, for instance, if a patient's in menopause, because you only prescribe estrogen in menopause, um, and there's testing that we do to make sure that you actually are in menopause because even though a patient might have had 12 months without a period, um, there is the potential that she's anovulatory. So basically she's just not having a cycle. Um, she's not ovulating, but that there is still the potential that there could be another period. Um, that being said, we just look at FSH, but that being said, um, For instance, if we're prescribing estradiol to a woman who is menopausal, um, say she's having 20 hot flashes in a day, um, you always start really, really low and then always do really, really high progesterone because progesterone and estrogen kind of, they work together, but then they also antagonize each other, which is their normal role in your body. Um, so that being said, you start out slow and most women will start noticing changes that, it, you know, they're having 20 hot flashes a day. You start at a really low dose of, um, estradiol and all of a sudden it goes down to 10 and they're like, okay, well, we're moving in the right direction, but it's not high enough because they're still having, um, those hot flashes or night sweats, or they're noticing vaginal dryness or frequent urinary tract infections. Um, but also keeping in mind that it is dose dependent on the patients. And that's why you always start out low. 
with all patients. And it's just a matter of figuring out what dose works perfectly for each patient, right? Because everybody's unique and different. So, you know, a tiny dose for one patient resolves all of their symptoms. And then, you know, for somebody else, you might need something higher. Um, and also keeping in mind that the only reason that a patient would be on bioidenticals would be to get rid of their symptoms. It's not to reverse the signs of aging. It's just to help you feel a little bit better and not having to, you know, covers on, covers off, covers on, covers off for like six hours in a night. So. Well, that's yeah. just a bad cycle because now you're not sleeping, which is then going to cause all sorts of other problems. Absolutely. And up and, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so that sort of brings up something. If, if somebody is like, does it end? Like, is there a point where I don't need hormone replacement therapy anymore because yeah. it's all done? Uh, no, absolutely. So for most women, and again, this is always a gauge, um, for most women, menopause lasts about five years for some patients. Um, it's lasted up to 10. Um, I have some patients whose genetic association, you know, they watch their grandmother still continue to go through menopause in her 90s. So again, it's totally different. Everybody's different. That being said, the idea is, is that you just want to support a patient to be able to get them through that hump of, um, of menopause. And it does, um, it does stop. The thing about bioidentical hormones and those types of supports for patients is oftentimes patients feel so incredibly good on them that they're afraid to come off of them. That's so, what I was thinking. Yeah. Well, there's, there's that other piece as well. So. so how do you know it's time to come off them? Just try. So, I mean, once patients are feeling fairly stable and maybe it's been a few years for them, the only way to know is to stop. And if, you know, hot flashes or night sweats or, you know, mood changes, depression, um, insomnia return, then that patient might not necessarily be ready. But that's literally the only way to know is just to stop the therapy. So, okay. yeah. Um, so I don't want to spend the whole time on the hormone replacement therapy, but um, oh, of course, I know, I know, I know it's part of it. So um, I'm not moving us away from that on purpose or anything. And if no, anybody watching has any questions regarding that, please feel free to put them in again. Um, if, if we're not talking hormone replacement therapy, and I know mm -hmm. hot flashes and the sleeping is a big thing yep. for people, um, what other tips <laughs> can you suggest? So there are lots of herbal supports and liver supports, which are going to be really important. So the big thing about hormones is that your body has to process all of your hormones through your liver. So making sure your liver is well taken care of. Um, alcohol is going to make everything worse. Um, and again, I know, you know, because who doesn't love my a glass, glass of wine? Of wine? <laughs> okay. But also keeping in mind that alcohol in excess. Um, so because your liver is required to be able to process those toxins. So right. there's that. Um, so from a supplemental support perspective, there's lots of different things. So liver supports, um, estrogen supports, things, herbs like black cohosh or dung huai, um, adrenal supports like ashwagandha or withania or licorice or rhodiola. Um, those are all really, really helpful. And also keeping in mind that whenever you're balancing female hormones, you always have to make sure that you're supporting the thyroid and supporting the adrenals. Um, that's also probably the potential for another whole lecture is that the adrenal glands produce your stress hormone, your cortisol. 
So, and making sure that they're well taken care of is very important for hormone balancing because cortisol is a bit insidious in the sense that it can also actually start stealing from your hormones. Um, so the, and specifically as I see it happening with progesterone, because um, if you think about your hormones, the kind of one of the master hormones is something called pregnenolone and pregnenolone will shunt into either progesterone or cortisol. And most of the time your body needs cortisol more than it needs progesterone. So it kind of becomes a squeaky wheel. So it draws down that pathway. Um, so yeah. So lots, as I mentioned, lots of different options and really it is patient, patient dependent because again, I'm also looking at, um, medication allergies, herbal allergies, um, making sure that nothing's contraindicated because there's lots of patients who are taking pharmaceuticals and you also have to be very mindful and thoughtful, especially when you're prescribing herbal medicine. So that's another thing that I always recommend to patients is please talk to your naturopathic doctor or your herbalist before you start taking anything um, because there is the potential for contraindications and you, you don't want to unintentionally hurt yourself. So because herbal <laughs> medicine is really powerful. Can I, um, like when we're done this, maybe get you to send me a, a list of those supplements you were talking about um, so that if people want to go and talk to their doctor sure. about those, um, that Ooh. they can remember all those names. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so I'll get you guys that. Um, we had a question come in. Has there been much research on the side effects of the bioidentical hormones, particularly in terms of cancer rates? So, No because bioidentical hormones cannot be patented because they're naturally sourced. So there's no pharmaceutical company that's going to invest any money into something that they're not gonna have a benefit from. Um, there are lots of studies that have been conducted on bioidentical hormones. Um, there's, there's hundreds. I was at a course three weeks ago. I did 25 hours of continuing education just on estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, DHEA and thyroid hormones. Um, and there are hundreds of different referenced articles. So if anybody is curious, I'd be more than happy to share those articles with you and you're more than welcome to review. Um, but as far as, yeah, as, as far as like large scale, like what the WHI did, no. And there never will be because they can't be patented. So there's no financial benefit for any pharmaceutical company. Right. Okay. Well, that's, that sounds like a whole other thing where we could just talk about the injustice of all that around, oh, <laughs> around I know. women's health. I know. <laughs> um, there is another comment here about um, the treatment definitely helping someone's hot flashes. So thumbs up. <laughs> thumbs up for that too. Um, and I'm seeing um, Dina put some, um, I don't know if they're sad faces or scared faces. Um, I don't know what where that came in. So I, I hope they're um, good informational faces. They're just little smiley faces. You can feel free to explain those. You know, if, if there's something you wanted um, Dr. Townsend to go over more. Yeah. Um, I know. So there was some questions um, that maybe are, are more appropriate for me than you, but I'm going to put them to you and you can give your perspective sure. on it. Um, exercise. So mm -hmm. somebody talking about they're on hormone replacement ther therapy, mm -hmm. also have hypothyroid thyroidism. Yep. Um, and they get pain, like inflammation pain when they mm -hmm. exercise and then can't yep. sleep well. So yep. how do you kind of 
balance the exercise is hurting me versus I need to exercise? So there's lots of different things at play there. Um, one thing I would recommend is make sure that the, I mean, and I don't, I don't know the patient, I don't know the case, but um, make sure that the hypothyroid is an autoimmune because oftentimes patients who have hypothyroid that's caused by autoimmune will experience very severe body pain and aches um, because of the antibody load. Um, that being said, oftentimes it's, it's modified and also depending on, you know, their natural anti-inflammatories that they either have in their diet or supplementally. Um, so high doses of um, turmeric or curcumin are really helpful. Um, essential fatty acids like omega-3 are really, really helpful. So it's kind of hard to extrapolate on one particular case when you only have like a fraction of it. So Absolutely. I mean, these are some potential things, but these are some things that I'm looking at usually as well, especially if a patient reports pain during exercise. Um, so. I think the question was more around um, pain from inflammation in the days following. Right. So, and again, there's, there's lots of different potentials that it could be. I mean, and also where are their cortisol levels? How are their, how are their stress hormones? That's, I mean, to a degree, cortisol right off the hop is an anti-inflammatory. So most patients will exercise and feel really good right afterwards. And then if you are, um, if you're experiencing endocrine dysfunction, if you're experiencing that essentially adrenal fatigue, your body pumps out that cortisol and then it's depleted really quickly. So oftentimes it can be pain associated with that afterwards. Okay. So, yeah. um, and, and from my perspective, I'm not going to take up Dr. Townsend's time, but um, like as the personal trainer, I would be telling people experiment with it, do less, like yeah. <laughs> do less, see how it feels, see if you can find that sweet spot where yeah. you're getting some exercise, but then it's not all blowing up and understanding that, your body is going through changes. So it's really you supporting your body and saying, okay, what do you need from me? And if that means I don't do things as intense, then that's what it is for a while. Yeah. Um, that's, that's perfect. And, and yeah, if you can go to a naturopath and get the testing, do that for sure. <laughs> um, maintaining muscle math, mass and strength as you're going through this. So I know um, I have a little bit of research that I do just, you know, um, studying up for myself and things. So I know that um, bone density is a big thing, not mm -hmm. just in, in menopause and perimenopause. Like I think for women that starts like around age 25, 30, it starts yeah. to become um, an issue. And so again, from the personal trainer perspective, mm -hmm. um, what I'm learning is that the weightlifting and, and lifting heavier Mm -hmm. is important in order to maintain that muscle mass um, over maybe more cardio or something, but, but yep. to keep that weight lifting. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, just like the, the, the physics behind it is, is that if you're, if you're weight training, if you're lifting and even lifting heavy is, is fine. As long as you're just being careful and you don't hurt yourself. Um, the muscles are literally pulling on your bones, which is what they're supposed to do. And that stimulates osteoblasts. So that stimulates the creation of new bone cells, which is what you want. Um, oftentimes, patients who have lower testosterone also experience um, changes in their muscle mass. Um, women who, you know, in their 40s are like, you know, I could, I could build muscle like there's no tomorrow. And now that I'm in my 50s, I'm noticing it's a lot harder. And oftentimes, again, that's also 
change in hormones and change in testosterone. And those patients also notice changes in libido as well, just because testosterone and libido are connected. Um, but yeah, definitely, um, yeah, being mindful about your movement and weight training is usually always a good thing. Isometric as well can be super helpful. So for those patients who can't maybe necessarily lift, but. Okay, so isometric yeah. being um, holding moves, if anyone wasn't. Ex there hasn't you go. learned what yeah. that is from me yet. <laughs> so like a plank or wall set or, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, That's more case realm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's my world. Um, so, but yeah, so that, that's some of the comments I'm seeing right now is over 50 and the muscle mass. I'm interested if there's like a hormonal aspect to the, the muscle mass being harder to maintain. I, I know you said the testosterone. Um, I thought I had heard something about estrogen drop, dropping does something to that as well. Um, and I'm, I'm almost certain um, some of the stuff I've been learning estrogen plays a role in not being able to recover as quickly? Yeah. And also your DHEA is important for recovery. So DHEA um, can also be low for those patients who are um, experiencing pretty significant muscle pain after exercise as well. So kind of fielding back into the other one. And DHEA makes your testosterone and makes your estrogen. So okay, that's I was that... going to ask you if you could explain what DHEA yeah, so, uh, oh gosh, it's dihydro, estro, <laughs> stanodione. Don't call me on that one. It's, <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> um, but yeah, so DHEA is the precursor hormone. So basically the building block for your testosterone and your estrogen. Um, so that makes absolute perfect sense why that would be the case as well. So, and estrogen is also really important for protecting women against osteoporosis. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, I mean, so again, yeah, we're coming back to if, if the hormones are unbalanced, then mm -hmm. it's just going to domino effect for yeah. a lot of things, right? Yeah. I mean, estrogen for women is tremendously important. We have estrogen cells all over our body, our brains, our cardiovascular system, um, you know, our, our muscles. I mean, it's not just necessarily, you know, breast and uterine tissue where that's where estrogen affects. And that's also why a lot of women, maybe even perimenopause or menopause talk about how, you know, they feel like they've got a really foggy brain. Um, you know, they lose their keys all the time, those kinds of things. I mean, that's, that's part of your, your, your mental makeup. So. Um, I'm loving the questions, by the way, guys, if you, if I'm, if we're not getting them answered the way you want, feel free to put other things in there. Um, I'm just going to go through these questions that had come in before. Oh, that was my question. <laughs> my big question was, what can I do before I hit full on menopause so that it's not a horror show? Um, but I think you've kind of answered that, like just staying on top of things and when yeah. you're noticing changes, going in to talk to somebody, right? Yeah. Yeah. Prevention is paramount. Makes that transition a lot easier. If, if somebody has not done the prevention and now they're like in it, yeah. what's their best course of action? I mean, obviously going in and talking to somebody, but is it like, well, there's no hope? <laughs> no, hardly. Um, I have a lot of patients who come in there like I was completely fine. And then all of a sudden I feel like I got like hit by a brick wall and then all of this changed. Um, so no, it is far from hopeless. Um, usually it's of course investigation. So testing, 
um, a comprehensive intake and then going from there and figuring out what's going to be the best path and make the most sense for them moving forward. So no, it's, it's not hopeless. It doesn't matter what stage you're in, whether it's pre or peri or menopause, there's always things that we can be doing. So, and, and so I've heard, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I have heard that there, there can be some pretty nasty side effects to women just dealing with it, right? Like if you continue to have hot flashes for more than um, two years, I've heard that can be really um, hard on the heart and even diabetes and things. If, if you're really suffering and just, well, this is part of life, I just have to suck it up. Um, well, I don't necessarily know um, because I'm not necessarily seeing that patient demographic because the patients who are coming in are seeking help for their health concerns. And then that's when we end up correcting. Um, I would imagine that over the long term, women just having to just suffer through, unfortunately, which ends up happening to a large majority of the population. Um, because you ha you're having those hormonal changes, that's where, you know, the change to the cardiovascular system, change to your lipid profile or your cholesterol, um, or maybe a higher incidence or potentially predisposition to osteoporosis, just because estrogen is responsible for taking care of all those different aspects of your body. Um, but, you know, it may not necessarily be the case because a patient might not have a pre-existing health condition. They might not have diabetes. They might not have cardiovascular issues. Um, so it just depends. It's patient to patient. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's a question about whether a, so a, a, my 20 year old, sorry, my 20 year old daughter's cycle yeah. can not mess with the cycle of a woman going through menopause or, or have any sort of influence on her not having her um, Well, I mean, I don't necessarily know how significantly or to what degree, but I mean, categorically, that's what ends up happening. You know, women end up usually cycling with other women. There's usually an alpha in a group, whether or not it's women who work together or women who live in the same family. And that's just naturally what ends up happening. Um, as far as how that would necessarily impact potentially a woman going through like a 20 year old daughter impacting her cycle in, peri in perimenopause, because perimenopause is so erratic, there is no cycle. There's no consistency. There's no normalcy, as I said. So whatever ends up happening, that's normal for her. Um, I don't necessarily know to what dramatic effects that would have just because there's not really any scientific evidence or research behind that. So, but anecdotally we do see it happen okay um and there i mean i'm assuming there's not really much you do but like it's not going to do anything harmful necessarily it's just in what sense well that that you know if you're going through perimenopause it's the the two cycles aren't going to do anything harmful they're just going to mess with each other however they mess oh with no them. i mean they like there's no no there's no harmful uh, interference there okay yeah. Um, and, and again, feel free to just stay within the context that you're comfortable with with this question, but what do you say to women who maybe come into your office and like with the mental mindset of just having that fear about what's coming and feeling like they don't have control over their own body, like, and like it's being hijacked and I don't feel like me and, and just having that fear of, I can't. What, you know, like I, I'm not me and I can't 
necessarily change it, like feeling like these changes are something that are happening to them and they can't stop it. Um, I think that's also probably uh, where a certain level of counseling comes into play. I mean, I do some and I do have some training, but I usually always do refer patients to um, clinical, registered clinical counselors because that's a huge aspect of it, right? I mean, this is a very, very strange and unusual time. And because it's so different for every single woman, it's very, it can be very difficult to navigate. In addition to family stressors and stresses with partners and work stress, like it's usually always, it's compounding, right? When you don't feel like yourself and you feel like there's also other parts in your life where you're feeling the stress as well. So that's where it is really important to, to take care of somebody's mental and emotional health as well. Um, so addressing mental, emotional health is incredibly important. And then also to that degree, trying to give back a woman her power by helping her feel like she has more control, potentially more of her physical symptoms. The mental, emotional piece is different. But again, you know, encouraging certain diet and lifestyle habits, you know, focusing on an exercise program or, you know, something where she does feel like she has control. Um, and then again, just navigating a lot of the physical symptoms um, because that's a huge part of it as well. Yeah. I mean, we um, don't, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no I, was, I was just going to say it's, I mean, it's tough. Yeah. We, we don't really necessarily have control, but whatever you can control, let's focus on those things. Yes. Um, so I, I mean, I guess part of that is just sort of normalizing for people that it's okay to not be okay, that, oh, yeah. that the mental component of it is not unusual in when you're seeing women to see. No, yeah. not at all. Um, it's actually one of the most important and the most significant. Um, so because you can help control a lot of the physical changes that are happening, which is great and easy and fine. Um, however, the mental emotional piece, I mean, and it could also be associated with somebody's history, you know, depending on their grandmother or their mom or, you know, somebody who, you know, they care about deeply, you know, had breast cancer or uterine cancer or ovarian cancer. Because again, a lot of this is also associated with um, the physiology, right? So they're like, okay, well, so-and-so I know went through perimenopause and then she found out X, Y, and Z about her life. Well, we carry that. And that's also where being able to talk about it. And I almost want to just say, just to be able to, to share, because if you share, it's almost like you're diluting it. So now all of a sudden it doesn't hold as much power over you. Um, so yeah, that the mental emotional health is tremendously, tremendously important. And again, you know, okay, we can probably take all of these different things and dissect them into like a dozen more lectures. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I can I do a whole lecture on the the mental health around yep. around those changes and feeling powerless and, and all that for sure. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Um, I think my biggest little input on that is first of all for women, just being conscious and aware of the the programming that you know we've been exposed to as women our whole lives, just about the way our body should be and what's expected of them in terms of, of looks and things. Um, and maybe using this as, you know, a, a time to start appreciating your body for, for different things and, 
and really sort of getting to re-know your body in a different way, using it as an yeah. opportunity that yeah. way for sure. Um, so we have a question. Do you ever see patients that are feeling okay, uh -huh. but they want to come in and get it like a baseline so that they know for the future? Yep. Yep. Um, I don't see them as often, but I definitely do have patients who are just focusing on wellness. They're focusing on prevention and just wanting to keep themselves healthy now moving forward. And then also having that baseline is not a bad idea because then moving forward, you have that to reference. Like this is where I felt my best, or this is where I felt really good. So therefore, if things do change in the future, you do have that reference. Okay. So. And, it, and as, as the doctor, that is useful for you if you're working with someone? Absolutely. Because if something's changed, then so moving forward, if something's changed, then at least I have that reference from before saying, okay, well, actually, this is where we felt really good. Because again, we're also, I mean, blood work or hormone testing, it's always based on um, ranges, but it depends on the patient. So, um, yeah, yeah, so we, we are coming up to the end of the hour and there's been another comment here that thank you. This has been so informative. Um, another oh comment God. just about feeling, um, less feminine. Is that a comment that you hear? I don't often, but I have heard of patients describe themselves as such. And again, Sounds that's, like the thing of like losing that part of yourself that that is so intertwined with being female when your period yeah. stops, right? Yeah, absolutely, and that's exactly what is what I was going to say is is that you're used to having this predictable cycle, whether or not for some women it's every thirty days or thirty five days or forty days, whatever. But you're you're used to psychologically cycling. So now all of a sudden, going into a period of your life where you're not having that normal cycle. Um, it can take a little while for the brain and the body to adjust to that. And of course, those changes in those hormones are going to make us feel less feminine, but actually physiologically, that's literally what estrogen and progesterone are for. Yes. Right. So that's also a challenging part there for sure. Um, but again, Kate, as you said, you know, it's, it's a new, it's a new stage. And I think also as long as women know, like, these are some things I can expect. These are some potential things that could happen. If you're not saying forewarned, but if you have the information and you have the knowledge, when something happens, you're like, oh, right, I knew this might happen, right? So it's not absolutely terrifying when all of a sudden this thing happens where you're like, well, I didn't know this could possibly happen. So, and that's also where a huge part of my job is education. Just like, these are the potential things that could happen, so... Well, and even going right back to the beginning of this, when I, I said to you, why do you think this is, or asked you why you think it's so important for women to be talking about it, and like, boom, we're back there, right? That's yeah. exactly why. Yeah. So, um, so if, if anyone listening or watching this later, uh, there's been so many comments, like, honestly, thank you for doing this. I, I'm sure you've made such a, a difference for so many people. Um, if so. somebody wanted to get a hold of you or get in touch with you about yep. more personal things, is there a way for them to do that? Yes. Um, so uh, anybody who's interested in uh, meeting with me or having a conversation with me, um, you're welcome to visit my website. It's www.interiornaturopathic.com. My, all of my business information is listed on the website, um, including my office phone number. So you can call us directly or you can book online through my website. So whatever's easiest. 
So, and then I will provide all that information for you, Kate. So just send me a quick email reminder just so I remember. Yeah, yeah I will do that. And that's um, what I was going to say is all that, the, the herbal supplements, the little things we had talked about, and I'll yep. include a link to your website in that if people yeah, for um, sure. want to get in touch with you afterwards. So if anybody out there has any last things they want to put in, do that now. Is there any last thoughts you have, Dr. Tamsin? <sighs> Something you wish you could tell women about menopause. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, I totally put her on the spot. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> um, no, just speaking to the piece that it's, um, it is a completely new stage. And also looking at all of the different aspects of our lives is just being these unique stages. Um, it's almost as though I kind of describe it as like women being able to live several lives in one lifetime that you are, you're a certain person when you're in your twenties and then in your thirties and then in your forties and then in your fifties, et cetera. So, um, it's, it's almost as though you, you get to live more than one life because every single time you go through those stages, you have a very unique perspective, um, and things to draw from, from your previous years. So, um, I think if we can kind of look at it as being like a new life or a new, a new perspective in our life, as opposed to the unfortunate way that our society perceives and views menopause. Um, but just yeah. this, this new level of wisdom that ends up coming for women. Um, I think that would be the thing that I would want more women to know about. So that's a beautiful re reframe for it. Thank you. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah. And again, if anybody has any questions, you're welcome to, to touch base with me. So. Perfect. Thank you yeah. again so much. Um, there's another, there's all sorts of thank yous coming in. So. Oh, yeah. good. Well, I, I hope that even if there's just a tiny snippet of information, um, that that was helpful. So. How amazing is Dr. Townsend Morley? please share this episode with anyone that will get value from it. And remember to like and follow this podcast so that you get notified of more great episodes. And if you want to reach out to Dr. Tamsin Morley, I will put her info in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for listening. If you're feeling extra motivated, maybe consider reaching out through one of my social channels and let me know what takeaways you got from this menopause Q&A. My socials are listed in the show notes. But if you search Kick-Ass Life Project, it should show up. Although menopause is often an unfun topic and experience, I believe, like anything, there are ways to become empowered and take action. In the immortal words of my riding coach, you're still on. Keep riding. <laughs>